0: Good morning, good morning, good morning. God is good, yeah? Is everybody saved? No. Well, that's yet to be determined. That's yet to be determined. I need to ask that up front because a lot of times uh, you, you when you deal with uh, kingdom structure, when you deal with kingdom organization, when you deal with kingdom government, you always find devils. Hello? Hello? Uh, The, it's an interesting thing that Jesus is walking with people for years at a time, teaching, manifesting miracles, doing all kinds of things. And after an extended period of time, he asked them the question, who do men say that I am? What, what externally, what are you hearing about who I am? What, what's my identity? So, you know, they can't figure it out. Well, some say you're Elijah, Elisha. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're this one, that one, all kinds of things. And he said, well, but who do you say that I am? It's one thing to ask externally what people are saying, but when you ask people who've been walking with you, who do you say that I am? an interesting thing right because you can be around god without knowing god and you can know the scripture but not know the word talk to me somebody just because you know the scripture does not mean you know the word because the word became flesh and dwelt among god is the word and so out of all of those that are with him one a man by the name of simon whose name means a reed, weak, unstable, moved by anything, moved by everything. One man named Simon says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't get this just, just, but this is divine in nature. This is sovereign in nature. But now that you know who I am, I can finally tell you who you are. Because you never know who you are until you know who he is. And you are not Simon. You're not weak. You're not unstable. You're actually Peter. You're a rock. You're the opposite of that. And I say unto you that on this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He gives them the keys of the kingdom, makes them the magistrates on the realm of the earth for uh, saying the yes and the no to governing authority and everything like that. And just a few verses later... Jesus says, now that, that we've this epic moment that we've been waiting for to get you to the place where you understand uh, who I am and what my purpose is, I've got to go to Jerusalem and suffer because I've got to do the things that I really uh, came to do. And then uh, Peter says, no, you can't do that. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. In one chapter, my man is Simon, he is Peter, and he is Satan. All in one chapter. When you show up, You show up as either Simon or Peter or Satan, flesh, soul, spirit. You're one of the three, yeah? And so today we're hoping to find Peter, Petros, rocks that we can uh, build on this house. And I I said that just in the beginning to say I am so grateful uh, for the opportunity to be with you. Thank you. Uh, Pastor Rich for setting everything up and reaching out. Nice to meet you, uh, by the way. Uh, we've been corresponding for a little while. I'm I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, but I definitely want to give deep honor and uh, much respect to uh, Bishop and uh, Miss Renee. Thank you guys so much for having me here. If you love your Bishop, would you clap your hands and let them know that you're glad uh, that he is your leader in this house? Amen. Uh, we've got a service tonight in Nitro. If uh, if you guys can make it over there, we're we're planning on. Having a great time, pray that God would bless us there. Did you bring your Bibles this morning? I want to do a little bit of leadership stuff here for a, a while today and um, we 'll we'll try to keep track of the time as best we can. Uh, not going to keep you real long, but just want to put some things in our hearts and in our minds that hopefully can help us uh, on the journey that God has taken us to give give uh, uh, your attention to two places in Scripture, if you don't mind: First Kings chapter five and First Peter chapter two. First Kings chapter five and First Peter chapter 2 I'm going to look at uh, a couple of scriptures here in First Kings five, and then we'll flip a page and, and look in First Kings six, and then uh, read some things in. 1 Peter chapter 2 1 Kings 5:17 Reading it to you out of the New King James it says here and the king commanded them to quarry large stones somebody say large costly stones and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple One more time, the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. Look at 1 Kings 6, verse 7. Verse Kings 6 and 7. And the temple, when it was being built, was built of stone, finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. One more time, I want you to, I want you to hear this verse because this is uh, important for our understanding as we're getting ready to segue now into the new covenant. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone, finished at the quarry finished at the quarry, so that there was not the sound of the hammer, chisel, or any iron tool heard in the temple while it was being built. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking... As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ amen all right so uh, let's let's look at um, the building of the house of God because um, whenever you are in in a place that is kingdom minded you will always be in uh, a building program building programs uh, in, in new covenant context, are more spiritual than they are brick and mortar. We go through all kinds of brick and mortar things, but the real the real church uh, is the people uh, that come together to cohabitate in a spiritual environment. Who say we are one in Christ Jesus. Uh, we are one in the kingdom. Uh, we have one purpose. We have a goal. We have a vision. We have a dream. We have mission. We have all those things like that. And and you try to build. A house within a house, so we have this external structure uh, that we sit in that protect protects us from the elements, but the real church are, are the people who sit in this place uh, Sundays, wednesdays, whenever you have have services and we all get that this is this is elementary stuff, uh, but then, when you start looking at the foundation of the thing you you understand that there are Uh, certain scriptural contexts that give us how those buildings are built. We understand that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and that the the church is built uh, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ being the chief cornerstone. We understand that there are five-fold uh, functioning ministries, and he gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, for the perfecting of the saints, so that the saints might do the work of the ministry, so that the house might be edified and built up, and, and so that we can come to Jesus as a perfect man. And so we, we get all of these things that we've heard time and time again as it relates to, to building but I want us to, to look at the, the type and shadows and, and, and see a couple things here that are really interesting to me as it relates to the Old Testament uh, kind of structure in, in building of the house of God and the New Testament, because uh, both of them had the, the, the same essential goal. And that was to get to the place where the glory of God can fill the house and that the weight of God, the kebab, the heaviness, uh, his power, his, his manifestation, his holiness, his splendor, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, uh, the love, the faith, the hope, the peace, the joy, all the things that are fruit of the Spirit could actually manifest and show up in our midst because God's glory was evident in the place. In the Old Covenant, the glory of God never shows up anywhere in the Old Testament until these three words, and, and when the house was set in order. Every time after set in order... Then the glory of God fills the place. Every time, Old Covenant. So in the Old Testament, God's glory never showed up until they finished a brick and mortar house. Till everything was put in place. In the New Testament, God's glory can show up anywhere because it wasn't about the building, it was about the people. You could have uh, an unfinished room, but finished people, and God's glory would fill up. Uh. The the New Testament context just told us that you and I come to Jesus who is a cornerstone, uh, the chief cornerstone, and that you and I are living stones that come to him for the purpose of building a place where God's spirit can dwell, a habitation, Different from the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, he's a God of visitation. New Testament, he's a God of habitation. It's not until the day of Pentecost with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that God could ever dwell in you. He could only visit you until, until that time. Amen? And then he comes to live and he comes to dwell. And so when, whenever you see uh, this similar theme where, where, where we're both trying to in in two different dimensions, in two different days, strive for the same thing, the glory of God, you have to realize that one uh, has very strong uh, natural implications. The other has very strong spiritual implications. We are told that Solomon is uh, the wisest uh, man in, in, in Scripture, uh, we're told that his wisdom transcends that of, of any other. We're told that the secret to his success is found in his quest uh, for wisdom and for God to just, you know, his, his heart is, God, just, just give me enough sense to know who you are and to know what you want me to do and just give me uh, the wisdom that I need. When he could ask for anything else, when he has a blank check, he writes Wisdom. And God says, I'll honor you, I'll bless you because of that. So, when he is tasked by God to build a house for God, you have to understand that he's coming into uh, a place where he has seen the greatness of his father, but also the failures of his father. He has seen his father try to accomplish this and be stopped short of it. So he knows that God is asking for somebody to build me a house, somebody build me a temple, somebody build me a place where I can dwell. And Solomon has seen... uh, David, who is still revered as the greatest king that Israel ever had, a man after God's own heart, somebody that had so much ridiculous, crazy favor that it would just seem natural that if anybody could build a house for God, it would be David. I mean, he has the greatest revelation of who God is, of, the, of, of most everybody, Old or New Testament, almost everything we know about thanksgiving, praise, and worship and ascending into the heights of uh, God's presence. We, we learn from uh, David in the psalmist, and he was uh, he struggled he had issues. He he was flawed. He didn't always do right. Um, at the same time, uh, he he's a lover of God, and he he's he's got he's got insight on on what moves God's heart, how to get God to open up his mouth, how to get God to uh, show up strong. Uh, but in all of those things, no matter how how good his heart is, and and uh, all, all the revelation that he has about. Uh, God's character and his attributes and his identity and all those things, David still falls short of being able to fully build the temple because uh, there were times when David should have been fighting that he was off doing other things he shouldn't have been doing, and there were things when David should have been praying that he was fighting. And so God wouldn't let him complete things. So when it's in the, the heart of Solomon to build a temple, he says, God, I need your wisdom. On this thing, I, I need your help with this because I can't just do this without your help. And Solomon does something that uh, I don't know that I, I don't know that we actually have the ability to appreciate the difficulty of it. But but he says, "I'm going to build a house for God, and I want to build it of uh, substance." So first of all, I want large stones. One of, one of the problems in leadership, and this is where we're getting ready to get into it, one of the problems in, in leadership many times is um, we, we, y'all just work with me because I just gotta say like, like, like I need to say it, all right? And, and, and y'all pray for me afterwards. But sometimes we put small people in large positions. We put small people in large positions and then they don't have the stature, they don't have the size spiritually, they don't have the greatness spiritually to fill in the gaps of the position that they're supposed to to be walking in. Solomon is saying, I need large stones, I need something of substance. Then he says, I need costly stones. I I don't, don't send me any junk. Don't send me anything that doesn't have any value. Don't send me anything that's not worth something. Send me something that costs. Now, he learns this from David. David says, I'm I'm not going to give anything to God that doesn't cost me something. So he's already learned some things from his father. But uh, he's saying, if we're going to build this thing, we're going to build it right. And we don't want to spare any expense. Now, you bring that thing over into the spiritual you can go into all kinds of things, knowing your self-worth, knowing your value, uh, knowing, knowing who you are in Christ, having uh, a proper, healthy mindset of um, your value in God, but without being uh, uh, arrogant and over the top and, and all, all those kinds of things. So he says, give me large stones, give me uh, costly stones, and he says, I want you to also give me stones that are prepared at the quarry hewn stones prepared at the quarry now think about the difficulty of this because they're building a temple in one location but solomon wants them to be meticulous in everything that they're doing so that before the stone ever leaves the quarry it's already shaped to fit where it belongs when it gets to the temple Because Solomon says, I don't want a bunch of noise in God's house. I don't want a bunch of distractions. We don't need, this is not the place for the hammer. This is not the place for the chisel. This is not the place for the saw. I don't want that here. I want this to be a place of peace. Talk to me, somebody. A place of peace. I don't need a a, a lot of noise. I want, and what he's saying essentially is, I want you to bring me stones that are already ready. Bring me stones that are already ready. We could get so much done in our churches if we didn't have to spend so much time on Sundays and Wednesdays hammering and chiseling and correcting and shaping people just to create an atmosphere of peace. We could get so much done because we have to devote so much of our time uh, that we have together in corporate settings, trying to shape people up, trying to fix them, trying to smooth off all their rough edges, trying to get them to do what they're supposed to do, what they said they were going to do. Oh, y'all don't like me today. It's all right. It's all right. it's, it's, It's not an easy thing. For Solomon to do to do this. This is this is actually quite difficult. It would be much easier for for them just to bring the stones and do all the work right there on the spot and make it fit. Many times that's what we we try to do. We try to take people that are still way too rough around the edges, people that do not have the capacity, the greatness, they cannot fill uh, the gap that they've been asked. And we try to make them fit because oftentimes we need warm bodies And and uh, it's a a difficult task. It's uh, it's one that is fought by hell, by powers, by principalities, by demonic entities, tooth and nail, just to get to a place where you have a platform of peace. Now, peace can be uh, described in, in a lot of different ways. Some people say there's nothing missing, there's nothing broken. We get all that, we, we hear all that. But there is no peace where there is no unity. And if you don't have unity, you will never have peace. Those two do not fit. So you have to have unity. What, it, what is unity? Unity means we're united The the root word is one. It means that we are one. It means that there, there are no gaps between us. It means that when we come into the room, we fit together, yeah, where we belong, and there's no separation. There's no division among us. What's a division? A division is a gap. It's a space. It's an opportunity. This is why the Bible says give no place. Give no place to the devil. The word place there means position of opportunity or space limited by occupancy. The word place is defined position of opportunity or space that is limited by occupancy. That's why the prayer is, uh, when he comes, may there uh, be found no room in me for my adversary. So Solomon is saying, I want... The house of God to be filled with the glory of God in order to do that it has to be a peaceful place where where there is not uh, a lot of noise going on and one of the reasons why that is so important is because we are entering into seasons now where it is absolutely essential that the core leadership understands that I have to show up at the door already ready Let me go so far as to say that when you come here, we don't need you to pray. We need you to lead. You ought to have been praying before you got here. Talk to me now. You, you know, we, we, we oftentimes find that, and, and this is what I'm seeing uh, globally, where I just was telling Bishop, I just came back from uh, a few weeks in South Africa. Uh, I'm, I'm in Africa almost every year and spend a lot of time there. And whether it's in Uganda, Rwanda, Nairobi, or whatever, South Africa, uh, or whether I'm in the States, uh, church people are church people all over the planet. And I can tell you this, that we have entered into a season that we have to come out of because the reality is, is that globally, 99% of the churches that I'm seeing are not fighting the devil because they're too busy fighting themselves. Tell the truth and shame the devil. <laughs> I mean, Satanists don't have to show up and kill cats in front of our church and paint pentagrams and things like that. I mean, even, the devil do not even have to mess with us because we're so busy killing each other. And, and we, we lose the ability to uh, reach the lost, to win the harvest, and focus on the big picture of, of kingdom advancement when we get caught up fighting uh, the powers and the principalities uh, in high places, but reducing them uh, to human personalities and giving them names and faces. And, and so there's this spirit that has come into uh, the body that's, that's so prevalent where churches are struggling internally to get the glory of God, the manifest presence of God in the house, and and they blame it on the devil. When really, I mean, the devil's not not fighting us as much as we're fighting ourselves. I mean, he is, but it's in a more covert way. It's more like he's giving us that inch and we're taking the mile and he just sits back and watch us wreak havoc on one another. But the principle is essentially the same. You cannot get the glory of God in the house until the house is finished being built. And the problem is, so so let's look at this. In Solomon's day, the wisdom of Solomon says, I want to build the house with finished stones. The new covenant principle is you can't finish the building, the house with unfinished people. Can't finish the building with unfinished people. That means we have to come already ready. Ready. The interesting thing to me is, he gives us in uh, First Peter there. He gives us insight into what we have to do to get to the place where we can be qualified as living stones. I want you to go back there for just a moment. First Peter chapter two, verse one through five. So the Old Testament tabernacle is built with brick and mortar. The new covenant, New Testament, the house is built with people. Again, you can't finish the building with unfinished people. Somebody say amen. So watch what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore laying aside, therefore laying aside. Laying aside means to take away from or to remove. This is where he's getting ready to take the hammer, the axe, the chisel, and the saw, and start working on us so that we can be finished stones. First of all, he says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all malice. So let's just work on these for a little while. Is that all right? Y'all okay? Anybody need to take a a real deep breath? It's going to hurt just for a little while, and then you'll be all right. Malice. The the, the word malice is defined as this. The desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on another, either because of hostile impulse or deep-seated meanness. Now, this is dictionary.com. I didn't make this up. Dictionary.com. Malice, one more time, I want you to get this. Here's the definition of it. The desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on another, either because of hostile impulse or deep-seated meanness. The reality is that there are people in church who have uh, a demonic desire simply to hurt, to wound, to offend to discourage, and to beat down other people because the only way they can feel good about themselves is making someone else feel bad. Malice is when you have a desire to hurt, to inflict any kind of pain, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual. Uh, and he and, and gives us a couple different things here. One is because of an emotional uh, impulse because uh, there, there's something there that uh, in the heat of, of the moment, in the heat of a conflict or in the heat of some kind of disagreement, um, you lash out, say things that you shouldn't say, behave in ways that you shouldn't behave, do things that you should not do. Uh, this happens more often in the church than, than we should at all be proud of. Because what we find many times is that under pressure, under duress, under uh, times of uh, whether, whether you want to call it conflict or disagreement or uh, contention or confrontation, sometimes you don't really find out the level of someone's maturity until you disagree with them. as long as they agree with you and you agree with them, they have got your back. When you disagree they've got your back, the problem is they've got a knife in their hand in your back. So malice is defined as me wanting to hurt you because I have a uh, an emotional outburst, uh, we have, we have, because we, we, we've uh, in many times kind of coddled to uh, church people. And, and please don't don't get upset when I say this because I'm one of them. I'm, I'm a church, boy, I've been in church all my life. This is what I've done all my life. And I've been in full-time ministry for over 20 years. So I can tell you, that church people are some of the most emotional people on the planet. Now, that's both good and bad. Because I, I, in, in the right settings, we need you to be emotional. Because you cannot truly be spiritual without being emotional. So every once in a while, we need you to, to cry a tear or laugh or shout for joy or some things like that. So, so your emotions are good. But you can be entirely emotional and never be spiritual. The problem is knowing how to balance that out where your emotions are in check and they manifest at the right time and under uh, the right settings. Because he says one of the first things we're going to have to deal with is getting rid of the malice. And, And that is the willful intent or emotional outburst where I desire to make you suffer create some kind of pain or harm you in any way because uh, I just didn't uh, see it the way uh, that you saw it or I could not agree with you or or the other part is he simply said just because you're mean. Now I will also say to you after 21 years of full-time ministry that some of the meanest people on the planet are in church. Don't be scared. It's all right to say amen. Because I'm telling you what, man, if words could kill, I'd have been dead a long time ago because I've had people say some things to me that were just downright mean. No, the truth, no, it ain't about the truth, hurts. you're just mean. Come on, Taylor Swift, all you ever going to be is mean. He said, you've got to lay down your malice. If you have the kind of attitude where, where you have to hurt somebody in order for you to feel better, you've you got to get saved for real. Like, you've got to get saved for real because your desire should never to see anyone suffer. I mean, there's scriptures that I don't like. I have tried my best to take them out of my Bible, but they keep showing back up. I mean, Bless your enemies? Are you kidding me for real? Like, why? Pray for those who despise. Yeah, I pray for you. I pray for you. Like David's prayer, break their teeth off and give them tumors. You know, the, the, like, you can't pray that in New Covenant. That's an Old Testament prayer. You know, it's like you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you know, that kind of thing. It, it, it's an interesting It's an interesting thing when you find yourself in a church setting where you're trying to build a house for a habitation of God and you've got people who are either mean or emotional. Because whatever it is, it's still going to create that spirit of malice. So you have to ask yourself the question, uh, you know, and when we're going through these, you have to ask yourself, do I struggle with these in, in any way? Because if, if you do, you have to understand that one of the things that God wants to do uh, throughout this weekend is cut these things off of you so that you can show up at the door already ready. And if if you're not mean, praise God. But if you are, get delivered because we don't like you, mean people. Amen. Amen. We don't like you. Be nice this is deep ain't that deep right there y'all brought that boy all the way in and what did he say he said be nice <laughs> be nice it's not that hard be nice and the worst thing you can do to mean people is be nice to them I'm serious man if you want to get on mean people's nerve be nice to them oh they hate it they can't take it man mean people want you to be mean back because that fuels their fire. They like that. They, they, they want to just be not as hard as it is. Now, I'm telling you, what, I haven't always been perfect because I have been mean to some people who have been mean to me. I mean, really, and that's why sometimes you just got to really be careful and put yourself in check and pray like David prayed and set a guard outside my mouth, God. Help me. Because if you don't help me, I'm going to cuss this sister right here out for real. In Jesus' name. Yes, help us, Lord. I'm telling you what, Dad. I'm telling you what. Help me, Jesus. I don't know which way it goes, but if it works, help me. If you're not mean, that's good. But you also have to ask yourself the question, am I emotional? Am I too emotional? One of the worst things you can be as a leader is too emotional. Because if you are a a real leader, you're going to have to get control of your emotions at some point, and you're going to have to get some thick skin for real. Because people are going to say things, they're going to do things, they're going to behave in ways that are... uh, the, the, the root, the intention of it is to hurt you, to wound you, uh, to beat you down, to tear you down, to take away your confidence, to make you second guess yourself. All this, and if you don't have thick skin, you'll find yourself in emotional conflicts, fighting with people. You come down off of your wall that you're supposed to be building where you're supposed to be a stone, fighting with people you have no business fighting with because you have mismanaged what was just supposed to be a momentary distraction. And emotions won't let you do that. I am not the only person that has ever pulled away from church on Sunday and took me all the way to Friday just playing something over and over in my mind that some crazy church person said or did to me every day, like, I can't believe this fool right here. I can't believe. Just dwelling on it over and over and over and replaying in my mind like what I wish I would have said. Like, oh, man, I wish I had thought to say right there because i got to cut them with that. If you Give me one more chance. Just think all week long. Like, I wish they would come up and say something crazy to me today. I just, like, you, that's emotional. And it goes to that place of malice. Again, now, it's a desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on another, either because of hostile impulse or deep-seated meanness. Uh, it's because you're emotional. doesn't mean that you, you have those things um, in your heart, but it does mean that you have to get them in check. Because the balance in this building thing is that we need people who are emotional enough to pursue the heart of God and worship Him in spirit and in truth passionately and deeply and Uh, without shame and in reckless abandon, but at the same time understand that their emotions have to be guarded as it relates to uh, the structure and the building of the foundation of the house. I've got to guard my heart, and I've got to guard my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, my intellect, my thoughts, my dreams, my desires. I've got to guard them against anything that's going to make me try to fight or hurt you for any reason. And it's tough, man, not to retaliate. It's tough not to uh, fight back. It's tough not to get into uh, a defensive position. Um, But leaders are being called in this season to step into a whole different level. And one of the things we have to cut away, we have to lay aside, is we have to lay aside malice. The second thing he said is deceit. Again, dictionary.com defines deceit as concealing. I want you to hear this now. Concealing or distorting of truth for the purpose of misleading. Distorting or concealing of truth for the purpose of misleading most of the time when people hear the word deceit they think of lying that's what they think of but it's not because uh deceit uh, has implications of lying but that's not all it is you're being deceitful when you don't tell me the whole truth even if you didn't lie to me but you only told me part of it you're being deceitful And there are some people who thrive on just telling you partial truth. They only want you to know certain information. And then they want to either twist or distort that seeming truth to their advantage. Deceit means uh, it, it follows the same kind of ideology as counterfeit where it's close enough to reality that until you look at it real intently, you can't see the difference. And there are people who have become masters at deceit who, who, who come to church faithfully. Uh... This is often a struggle in leadership, especially as you begin to grow and expand because a lot of times, um, one one of the most difficult things to properly manage is information. One of the reasons why we struggle so much with unity is because we don't manage information properly. Uh, so we hear people say things like, "We need to all get on the same page," and different things like that. And sometimes you have to go through seasons where you, you understand. And I think I may have even shared this one of the last times I was here. That I, I went through a season one time because my staff was about fifteen people, and then the the leadership was about the leadership of the church at that time was probably two or three hundred people because we had about twenty five hundred people coming. So we had like two or three hundred people. Uh, in the core leadership, and then the staff about 15, 16 people. And uh, just everything was going crazy because uh, we were not properly managing information. So if I called a meeting for 7 o'clock, I'd have some people show up at 6.30, some people show up at 7, some people show up at 7.30. But all of them swore that's what they were told the time they need to be there. And so we had to go through a season where, where I just said, look, If it's not in writing, it hasn't been communicated. So don't come and and tell anybody anything. Let's just communicate everything in writing. That way we know it's all been communicated. So when you're growing and you're emerging, especially between departments, every once in a while you'll find that you get people in departments who are deceitful, which means that they will distort some kind of truth or they will conceal certain information in hopes that it will create some kind of difficulty drama or failure for another person. And so uh, people can get territorial in their place. And, and I've had people, you know, come in and put um, the password they wanted on a computer. And so I send somebody to go to uh, the office to get on Jenny, I don't know, I don't know if, there's, no, if there's a Jenny here or whatever, but go get on Jenny's computer and give me the information. They're in there for 30 minutes. Well, I can't get the password. And I'm telling you, well, here's what the password is. And we done found out that, that Jenny has changed the password because she doesn't want anybody else to be able to have access to what she calls her information. Oh, oh Jenny, it ain't your information, it's my information. Don't change the password. Don't make it difficult for me to get information. Don't be territorial because that's not you being protective. That's you being deceitful. Yeah? Because you are concealing things that other people need to know. Uh, This is a difficult um, spirit to deal with because people, as I said earlier, people who are deceitful, uh, are very good at it. Remember now it's a counterfeit kind of spirit where you don't find out oftentimes until it's too late. I I, I need you, I need you to hear me right here. I need you to hear me right here. One of the things that, that is so incredibly difficult to do, but, but I believe, uh, we have to find a way to do it is we have to find a way to really inspect you thoroughly up front before we place you in leadership. Because too many times uh, we see all the externals and you look like you fit the bill. You, you know when to lift your hand and say amen. Uh, you know how to speak in tongues. You know how to fall out right so you don't hurt yourself. You know how to do all those things. Uh, you know how to talk the church talk and all the lingo and things like that, and we mess around and put you in a position only to find out six months later that we have been deceived. Yeah? That's because you're good at what you do. That's why I always get confused, like when, in, uh, like when my kids were little and we were reading, like, Adam and Eve, and they had uh, a serpent wrapped around a tree talking to Eve. I ripped that page out, and I said, that, 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 ain't, that ain't in the Bible, He didn't show up as no snake. Talk to me, somebody. He didn't show up as a snake. He showed up as an angel of light. He looked like God. He sounded like God. Yeah? It's only after she's eating the lie that he's transformed to the serpent. Talk to me, somebody. And that's what happens to us over and over and over again. We get deceived by people who show up as angels of light, but they're counterfeit Christians. On close inspection, you'll find out that they're trying to conceal information or they're trying to contain or distort the truth to their advantage uh, with a strategy to hope that others will fail. A strategy to hope that others will fail. There are people, I often had people uh, throughout the years in, in departments that would hope that other departments would fail. Because if they came to a staff meeting, they didn't want their department to get in trouble, but they loved when other departments got in trouble. So they would do things intentionally to hope that somebody would fail. One of the things that he said, we have to check at the door, we have to make sure... We have cut away that we lay aside in this season as we have to lay aside deceit. Amen? You getting anything so far? All right, the next one is, he said, you have to lay aside hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Dictionary.com. A pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs that one does not Actually, possess a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs that one does not really possess. Interesting to me that more than uh, 20 times, just in the pastoral epistles. Uh, the people like Paul, and then we come into uh, Timothy and Peter and these writers. Uh, all all of them speak of things like slander, gossip, hypocrisy. We've heard it. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard people who are uh, not Attending church, say the reason why they don't go to church is because there are too many, too many hypocrites. Out of all the things you hear, when 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 you ask people universally why don't you go to church, that is the one word you hear. You don't you don't hear. Uh, you'll hear them say things like, "Well, they talk about money too much," and talk, you know they. They're, they're too strict or, or this or there are too many rules or things. But overwhelmingly, people will say, we don't go to church because there are too many hypocrites. I often tell them, one more ain't going to hurt us. But there's a reason why that has become almost a slogan, almost advertising, is because many times people who are external are watching us and they see uh, our schizophrenia. They see our multiple personalities. They see one thing in the church and another thing out of the church and it becomes confusing to them. Why are there two yous? Why is there a church you and a world you? No, no. And in 1 Peter, he's saying, no, remember, he's talking to people who he uh, is getting ready to call living stones, which means you are essentially the building blocks of the house. And he says, you've got to make sure that you're not a hypocrite. You cannot have a false pretense of being a good person, a religious person, having moral values, characters that you actually don't possess. And as sad as it is, uh, oftentimes we find that the church really is. There, there is uh, an out of balance with a number of people who are hypocrites. Now, let's, let's take this to uh, another thing because whenever people are um, kind of new, whenever, whenever people are young in God, because they're struggling and they're one person in here, another person on the street, that does not make them a hypocrite, that makes them a babe. That makes them immature. Yeah? Because oftentimes they don't know to do right. And and God blesses them in spite of, of their ignorance at a time because He knows that in their heart they will be developed along the way. Yeah? So you look at at somebody like a Rahab. Rahab is a lying harlot that God blessed because all she knew was being a lying harlot. She didn't know any better. So he doesn't call her a hypocrite even when she stands in people's face and lies. The men ain't been to miles. house. God says, Ain't that something? <laughs> and God says, I'm going to bless that girl's house because she lied for me. Because she don't know no better. She's just doing what harlots do, lying about who comes to her house. That's how you get the head of the game in harlot land. You lie about who comes to your house. God blesses her but he doesn't consider her to be a hypocrite because she's acting in ignorance. But when you know better, come on, somebody. When you know better and act crazy, you are a hypocrite. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get preachy there for a 2nd Ha-ha! <laughs> I can handle I can handle people that are new in God. I can handle them whatever they're doing. I can handle them whatever because I, I love the hell out of them. Love them all the way through whatever they're going through because that's what God did for me. What I can't handle is people who know better. Know better. And still act crazy. Why? Why? I mean... You can see the struggle in, in the, the world where it's, it's crying out, you know, for the, you know the scripture that says the whole earth is groaning like a woman in labor, begging for the manifestation of the sons of God. Sons is the highest level of maturity. Yeah? When he first finds us, he, he compares us to fish. You shall be fishers of men. Then after we get saved, then he, he begins to compare us to sheep. It's the next dimension. But then, as we grow and mature, he says, now you are sons. Come on now. So we're not sheep. We're not fish. We're sons of God. And the earth is crying out for the manifestation of the sons of God. Not the sheep, not the fish, the sons of God. What they're crying out is for the mature day of the genuine believers to rise up and they're looking for authenticity. They're looking for the real deal. They're tired of fake phony, full of baloney, uh, Christians who, who uh, act one way in here and shout and run and cry and just as mean and evil and wicked and nasty. And he says in, in, if you're gonna build the house of God without any gaps, you're gonna have to lay aside hypocrisy. You can't be a hypocrite, you can't be fake. Come on now. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest, one of the greatest tools of evangelism of our day is the spirit of authenticity. It really is. Because it's no longer about door knocking and hitting the streets. You remember I remember when I grew up in this thing. We used to show up at the church eight o'clock Saturday morning, stand in the Church, pray in tongues for 30 minutes and hit the streets and knock on doors and invite people to church. That's how we evangelized. Yeah? And that was good in that day. That, that's how it worked in the day because people were accustomed to you. Show, now you show up at people's house and they hide. Just wait for you to go away. You know, I grew up in the south. I grew up in the country. So when everybody showed up, that was you company. We don't know you, but your company. Coming in the house, we're going to feed you and talk. But, but times and things have changed. So evangelism is in a new dimension. And one of the best things we can do to draw people to the house of God is give them an atmosphere that's filled with genuine authenticity. Where essentially I'm the same person in this room as I am on the street. Yeah. Because I mean, there's there's a lot of people that 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 come to church, and, and you know you could watch them because their kids look at them like they're funny because they you know they come in and and somebody asks them how you doing. I'm blessed and highly favored, and God's been good to me and the Lord. And, all, and they look at you like, who who are you? Because I ain't seen you all week. This is this is your church face. Yeah. Many times what we do on the outside is a reflection of what we're doing on the inside, so we dress it up. We dress it up on the weekends, put our best foot forward to try to portray something that we're not really, and we would be better served. There's a couple things that we have to do. One is that we have to be willing to grow up and mature, because this is the uh, antidote to hypocrisy. Just grow up and be mature, and and be who, who you really, really are. And the second thing is the, the strength or the courage to be genuine and authentic. Hello. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate all the Word of Faith people. I appreciate all the Word of Faith people. But I have a problem with them because they don't never seem to have no trouble. They always got millions of dollars in airplanes and cars and houses and everything's always going good and they're never sick a day in their life. Like, I appreciate that, man, but I can't. I, I don't identify with you. Because I'm having a hard time believing you don't ever have any trouble. And so sometimes it makes me feel like they're hiding behind a facade in, in an effort to maintain this posture of I always have to remain in faith, which is, which is true. You always have to remain in faith, but you, you have to learn to, to find that place of authenticity at the same time. You don't have to compromise one to walk in the other. And the day and age that we are in, there are people that are looking for real church that's filled with real people that are worshiping a real God. Because they are struggling through life, they don't have time to deal with hypocrites. They don't, they don't need to connect to people that have one personality one character, one set of values, one set of morals in this room but are completely different outside. And and, and that's a difficult, difficult thing to find because all of these things uh, kind of play into one another. You cannot be a good hypocrite if you don't know how to work deceit and malice. Yeah? Yeah? Hypocrisy, a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs that one does not really possess. The next one he said is envy, envy. The definition of envy is a feeling of discontent or covetousness with regards to another's advantages, success, or possession. Envy, a feeling of discontent or covetousness with regard to another's advantages, success, or possessions. Um, envy is is very difficult um, to, to deal with because uh, it is one of those issues that many times goes unseen uh, envy can can really work on your heart and work on your mind and you can struggle with it until it manifests and then oftentimes it's too late again when we hear the word envy like deceit when we hear lying many times we hear envy we hear jealousy the jealousy is more of the manifestation of the thing it's more of the emotional uh, aspect of, of a person um, that is struggling with envy. But notice what what the definition said. It's when you are discontented, unhappy, whether internally or just makes you mad, because of your perception that someone else has advantages you don't have, success that you don't possess, or possessions that uh, you you you. you can't seem to achieve, whatever that is. Um, That's a spirit that is also very prevalent in the church because there are some people that are envious of others um, for a myriad of reasons. Some people uh, get envious because uh, someone might have uh, bishop's ear, Bishop's heart, Bishop's attention, Bishop's time—more than you. Some uh, think that uh, one department or one person gets special treatment um, because of, of what they do, or they have an advantage. Or we take it down to the, the, the time where we struggle, where, where people sometimes see things and like, well, it bothers it bothers them because someone else has more than them. It can, it can play out in, in uh, church all the time. We used to struggle with, with things. Sometimes people would uh, come because uh, I'm, I'm a music guy. I like, I like music, so I like that whole thing like that. So the budget for the music department was way, way, way more than uh, the greeters. You know, I'd be like, what do what are, what are, what are the greeters need? They, they need mints. That's pretty much all y'all need. Get y'all some mints and you good to go. Like I can pay for your whole budget and what I spend on one microphone. Well, they, you know the greeters get upset, Well, the, how come the music department gets to go to uh, convention because they don't have greeter conventions. It's not personal. I mean, we send you to a greeter convention, and they're going to tell you, get some mints. I just told you that for free. So, you know, they'd be upset. How come you're always spending money here and spending money there? And they would think, well, they have an advantage. You know, they get things that, that we don't get, and they get special treatment and stuff like that. And I used to tell my staff, my whole staff, um, I used to tell them uh, all the time. But my assistant, her name was Laura. And, and she was awesome, and she still helps me to this day. Even though she's moved to, to Tennessee, and I'm living in Puerto Rico, she still helps me to this day. And I would tell my whole staff, don't nobody mess with Laura. Laura's mine. That's right, territorial. Leave her alone. I told my whole staff she's my favorite. Don't mess with her because she runs my whole world. I mean, I didn't even know, like... For a couple years, I didn't even know my pin number on the card because Laura would, whatever I would have to do, she would take care of me, book my, everything. Like, what, where am I supposed to be today? And she knew everything. So I would like, y'all leave her alone. And there were people, oftentimes they would get upset because they, they thought that she had advantages. And she did. She actually did. But that did not give them a right still to be envious. Yeah? Because she needed... Uh, a level of access to me that other people didn't need. So there was a while, there there were people on my staff that didn't have my cell phone. Because I didn't want them to call me at home. Yeah, I wanted them to go through the proper channels. We had pastors in place. We had uh, everything in place. I mean, you really didn't need to call me unless, I I, I mean, pretty much if Jesus had came and we were still, call me. Other than that, I don't need to know. Fires, Church on fire, 911. That's who you call. Don't call me. What am I going to do? Cry and pray. That's what I'm going to do. Call the fire department. You know what I'm saying? So, so they would be like, well, how come, how come certain people have access to you? you know, because everybody doesn't need the same level of access, but what that does many times is it, if you're not careful, that spirit can get in and, and get rooted in your, in your heart and in your mind. And you start questioning, like, well, maybe they like this person more. than And I was just open up front. Yes, I like her more than y'all. I mean, I was, I was not wise in doing that. I was just, I was, y'all pray for me. I, I needed to help with that. Um, but regardless of, of my, my failure in that, my, my weakness in that, it didn't give them a right to be jealous over her, to be envious over her. And let that now put an issue in, in their heart between someone else just because they felt they have an unfair advantage. You're always going to struggle with people who seem to have an unfair advantage because the enemy wants you comparing yourself with somebody else. And when we compare ourselves with ourselves, we become, 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 we grow into. Yeah? It's unwise and it's unhealthy. So then he says, uh, someone else's successes. Successes. Uh, y'all, y'all, y'all have probably heard of um, Upward Basketball? Heard of Upward Basketball? I don't like it. I don't like it. That's me personally. Because I think sometimes kids need to know how to lose. If you don't know how to lose, how are you ever going to develop sportsmanship, a good attitude, things like that? Because life is going to teach you every once in a while, you're going to lose a few things. And if you think that everybody's a winner and you're always going to win, you're going to get your feelings hurt when you're grown. Because the office does not play upward basketball if there's one position for promotion and there's 10 people nine people getting ready to lose and you hope that those nine people did not play upward basketball cuz their feelings are going to be destroyed because they don't understand That sometimes people succeed in an area that you did not, but someone else's success does not qualify you as a failure. And he says you have to be careful in this area with envy because there are going to be times, uh, especially among leaders, that... Uh, certain individuals or certain departments or whatever enjoy successes that others might not enjoy. And um, winners are often celebrated and often acknowledged. And so envy often comes in when you have one of those departments that that uh, does not often get attention. Let me go back to the thing. So almost every week, I, I would come behind the music and, and say, let's clap our hands of the team today, didn't they do an awesome job and different things like that? Rarely did I say, hey, let's thank God for the greeters because they had mints. I didn't say that a lot. You know, every once in a while would come in my mind and say, you know what, I need to stop and really thank these greeters and these ushers that are, that are doing these things. But the fact that I wasn't mentioning them every week was not me saying that I'm gonna honor them, celebrate them, or appreciate them. It's just that I'm coming behind all of this And uh, I'm giving them a little bit of attention because they they plow, not that the others didn't plow the way for everything, because they're all important, they're all doing things like that, but they have a more visible role in what's happening from here up, yeah? And, And so every once in a while, you get people who would start to feel like they're not being appreciated because they're not being celebrated. They're not being appreciated because they're not being celebrated. Whenever you struggle with that, you're going to struggle with envy because envy uh, says, I need some attention. I need somebody to appreciate me. I need somebody to celebrate me. I need somebody to tell me how good I'm doing. I just need somebody to say thank you. And and we do. We, We need that. That's a necessary thing. But it can also be incredibly unhealthy when you begin to manage your worth or value based on whether or not somebody says thank you or good job or celebrates you. You always have to understand if you get your pat on the back from men, that's your praise. Yeah? That's it. If you do what you do as unto the Lord, you understand, you understand whether anybody says, anybody says thank you, you child, the job, I appreciate, appreciate your anything, but you, appreciate anything. You ain't worried about all that. Because, because you know, you know, that at the end of the, end day, of the you're day, day, you're going to get, get your world. World. It takes it a takes big, a person, big person, person to be able to say, you know what, I'll be last every week because the last shall be first. I ain't worried about these, I'll do whatever I got to do, and nobody's got to tell me anything. I'm not trying to get a praise. I'm not trying to get an acknowledgement. I'm not trying to get my name called over the microphone. I'm not trying to get a plaque, a paper, a certificate, a piece of gum, or some mints. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm staying in my lane, and I'm not worried about who seems to be getting more and me. Possessions. What they have. What, what they do. The enemy is a master at uh, having you look at, at something externally that you know nothing about and fantasizing about its reality. I'm telling you what, man. There was a guy in um, my church who uh, owned a couple of furniture stores, multimillionaire, Uh, sharp guy, well-dressed, beautiful wife, supermodel wife, supermodel kids, everything like that, big gated community, things like that. So um, he was coming. I knew him for a while, and one day he... uh, called and said he was having some trouble, asked if I would come over. So, you know, I pull up, he's got like a six-car garage, house on the water, beautiful. I'm talking about just, man, I went in, and people was fighting like cats and dogs, and my whole, <laughs> my whole, because I, mean, I, I thought they just sat around with a pinky in the air drinking tea and just like, you know, enjoying life and everything was good. But I'm like, I, man, I would not live in this kind of chaos for all the money on the planet, because I had I had looked at something external and summed it up and thought, man, it'd be nice to have all the stuff that he has, but not with that level of trouble. Man, people's fighting him and all kinds of lawsuits and everything, and every it's complaints from customers and kids fighting and on drugs and everything. I was like, this I'm sitting up struggling because from the outside. It looks one way, but when you really get to know it, it's something different. So you've got to be careful with, with envy because envy uh, is always going to have you live in some kind of realm, a fantasy. It's not, it's not reality. And, and why would you allow yourself to be envious of someone's uh, advantages, successes, or possessions in the first place. Because the definition of success is not uh, specifically related to to how much you have. Success is more defined by, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? There are plenty of churches that that are running 50 people, but they're successful because they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, you know? Success is not, not uh, a number thing. You can, get, you can get numbers at the wrong thing. A whole bunch of people will show up to watch a fight. Yeah? So he says we have to deal with envy. And then the last one he says that we have to lay aside evil speaking. Now, obviously, there's not a dictionary.com for evil speaking, uh, but it has a lot of it has a lot of implications. First of all, let's let's go to uh, the principle: death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Let's go to the new covenant. Uh, the tongue, smallest member uh, of the body, doesn't even have a bone, but the strongest. Part of who you are is in your mouth. Words, powerful. They bring blessing or cursing. They bring death or life. They either build up or they tear down. They set the entire course of your life like the rudder of a ship. And it's like pouring gas on the flames of hell when... Uh, you don't manage your mouth properly. Now, a lot of times, when when you see this thing, evil speaking, um, it seems broad. In in one sense, um, but but there are a lot of things that we ha- we have to be uh, careful of, because as Christians, many times. Uh, will say, well, I'm a Christian, so I don't cuss. And when we say I don't cuss, we're saying we don't use them 10 words that we were taught were bad. But there's a lot of Christians that don't cuss, but they curse constantly. Talk to me, somebody. They're constantly cursing because their words are not words of blessing. slander. Slander is when you say something that is deceptive about someone in order to form an opinion about them because you need some kind of advantage over them. It is the intention, and and this is an evil spirit that uh, is so prevalent in the church because we don't have a good, legitimate way to truly manage it or deal with it because unfortunately people can go on things like social media and say whatever they want to say hide behind text messages because they don't have the guts the chutzpah, to stand up in my face and tell me what you think so you got to put it on facebook or you got to send me a text message or you got to say you didn't join this church with no email don't resign with an email, devil. Yeah? And, and many times people, you, you, have you ever met people who are masters at saying something without saying something? Like they'll say, I'm like, well, I ain't going to tell you who it is. Well, you don't have to because you just told me where they live, their address, their social security number, their blood type. You got their DNA. You showed me a picture, but you ain't going to tell me who it is. Evil speaking is a terrible spirit in, in the church right now because um, we think that we have the right uh, to question everything, uh, formulate opinions, and then uh, spread what we think as, as our truth for the purpose of getting people to see it our way. It's a difficult thing because every time there is any kind of difficult transition, you will almost always have to fight the demon of evil speaking. Uh, Because for some reason, um, people uh, don't know how just to go in peace and let God do. I mean, even if you think you are completely right, the moment you begin to slander, speak evil, a curse or whatever, you are completely wrong. Yeah? And evil speaking is a difficult, difficult thing to manage because of the power of words. Because you cannot unhear what I say. That's why you have to be so careful with your words. Because you, you, you don't get those back. You, you don't get those back. Those things are seeds. And they plant and have to manifest in some kind of harvest. And the only way uh, to deal with those is not plant them again. Evil speaking uh, could be, out of all of these, it could be the most uh, prevalent spirit uh, that is in the church today. Um, I have a love hate relationship with Facebook. I really do. Like, Facebook and I love each other for a little while, and it's good. And then I get on and start reading, and every time there's something major that happens, you see all these people who are supposed to be godly people blasting this over and over and over again, and just on and on and on. You start reading, it just makes you sick. I was like, I just gotta go away for a while. And then they'll do it in the name of truth. I don't, I don't, I don't care if it's true. Just because something's true doesn't mean I need to repeat it, doesn't mean I need to, to fan the flames. Of that sometimes I just need to pray about something and leave it alone and keep my mouth shut. Keep my mouth shut over and over and over. The scriptures, isn't it interesting that there's so many scriptures that have to be devoted just to gossip? I'm serious, man. Gossip is a major, major, major problem in the church. And social media and texting and all those things has not helped us because now we have easy ways to to hide those spirits. And and if you struggle with any of these things, the malice, the deceit, if you struggle with any of those things, evil speaking is going to be part of the problem. It's going to be part of the problem because you're going to have the need to find someone who will listen to your malice, to your deceit, to your envy, to to all those things. You have to have some kind of outlet. And and we have too many times where uh, we mess up. Everything that God is trying to do with our mouth. I was thinking this is a this is a weekend where, um, we're celebrating you guys, right? It's like a anniversary or pastor, whatever those kinds of things, you know. And and, um, I used to love those times because. Those times people, they would give me big checks and you know, send me on a vacation, things like that. And all that was nice, that was all good. But man, I'm telling you what. I'd be like, if y'all could just give me a year where, where y'all don't fight me. Keep your, keep your money. Keep your money and just don't fight me for one year. I'll take six months. Just give me six months Give me six months where y'all ain't fighting me, you ain't fussing about something, I don't have to put out some kind of fire, I don't have to babysit you, I don't have to coddle you, I don't have to talk you off the ledge, I don't have to try to get you to stay, I don't have to try to get you to... Just give me six months and you do what you're supposed to do and keep your mouth shut. Oh, Jesus. I can say this now because I'm not pastoring. I'm just, I'm just consulting and I'm just preaching, doing things yeah, I can leave and go away and just really, man, this is like an altar call. Just come to the altar and let me just pray that God would give you a shut up spirit. Just for a while, just hush. Because your words are not, not helping us. We can go back to the old, if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. He said, how can bitter and sweet water can't flow out of the same fountain? You can't bless and curse. You can't come in here and bless God and say you praise God and then curse your brothers and sisters by saying negative things about them. That's why he says you get your mind focused. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, if you can find any praise, whatsoever things are of a good report, think on those things. Why? Because whatever's going on in your head is going to eventually come out of your mouth, out of the abundance of your heart the mouth speaks. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh, not in his head, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when your mouth is moving, your heart is being revealed. And you have to, you have to step back and say, what's, what's flowing out of my mouth? It goes back to that whole thing, man. I'm telling you what, I really struggled with the, the whole thing of bless your enemies. I struggle with it. To this day, pray for me, I struggle with bless your enemies. And don't curse. Oh. It got quiet, so I'm, I, I realized I'm not the only one. Everybody got quiet. I ain't going to say nothing. <laughs> your silence was your amen in that one. I, I get that. It's tough to get yourself to the, the, the place of discipline when people treat you like dirt, but your heart still says, God bless them. I can mean it for real. That's a hard place to be. But it's a place we have to ascribe to if we're going to be leaders because leaders, we are going to take the heat. We're going to take heat. It's going, there's going to be all kinds of things that come against us, but we have to guard hearts so we can guard our mouth. Every once in a while, we need to come into uh, a focused season of really watching what goes on in our heads, our hearts, and what comes out of our mouth. And it seems a bit cultish by practice, but the New Testament church, one of its qualities was that they thought the same thing, and they spoke the same thing. They had unified to the point where they began to think alike, and they began to speak alike. And it gave them great power because they were of one mind, one accord. The Holy Spirit does not manifest in full glory on the day of Pentecost until they're all in one mind, all in one accord. And while that seems odd and strange in in our particular kind of postmodern church culture, it's still a necessary ingredient to bring and facilitate the glory of God. So we all need to be thinking the same thing and speaking the same thing. Let's, let's run these quickly one more time, and, and I'm not going to keep you much longer because our two hours is almost gone. It's gone by quicker than I, than I thought. But remember now, he says, I want you to come to, to Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstones, but I want you to come to him as living stones. In order to do this, you have to lay aside, cut away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking because we have to uh, we have to start uh, getting the, the, the mindset of when I come here I'm not coming to church I am church I'm not coming to the building, the edifice, the temple, the tabernacle. I am the tabernacle. I'm a living stone. You have to see yourself as a person of greatness, a person of worth and value. But you also have to shape yourself. You have to shape yourself. Essentially, these stones were shaped in private and then placed in public. They were in shape before they showed up. As a leader, I shouldn't have to pray you through when you get here. You should come ready. You should step into whatever you're doing. If you're teaching kids' church or whatever, you should, you, you it used to drive me crazy. My dad's church, it would drive me crazy. And then like Sunday nights, they'd, you know, they'd let everybody in the church sing on Sunday nights. And people get up there and 10 minutes, tune their guitar on stage. Say something crazy like, y'all pray for me because I hadn't practiced this song. Well, sit down then. Go sit down. Anybody grow up like that? I mean, for real. Like, oh, my God. You don't mind you have not practiced this song. Then you shouldn't be singing you not ready. Don't tune your guitar on stage. Tune it before the service. Oh, help me, Jesus. And so we come in and we wonder why, many times, manifest presence, the glory of God, like the weight, God doesn't show up. And the reason why there's so many cracks, there's so many divisions, because we're so rough around the edges, and we haven't taken the time in our private devotional world and our prayer time to say, God, get me ready before I show up, because I just need to slip right into place. When I get there, I, I just want, I don't want to, <laughs> if anybody is going to be a source of division, I don't want it to be me, Father. Check my heart, God. check my Check my mind. Check my motives. Make sure I'm pure. Make sure that I'm shaped so that when I, I get there, I can slip right into place. I don't want there to be any, 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 any gaps. I want to be big enough to fill the place because I need your glory, I need your power. We don't need another message or another sermon or just another gathering. We need your power and demonstration. We need your anointing to show up. We need the heaviness and the weight of God to sit on us. We need signs and wonders and miracles and a manifestation of the power of God where the enemy cannot stay. And in order to do that, we've got to have some choice stones we got to have some big people, some people of greatness, some people who are ready to do what God wants to do, and that means you're going to have to lay aside all of those things in this season so that you can fit where you belong. Ah, the the uh, the call to leadership. Is, is not an easy one. The fact that you're in this room says something about you. Um, but we all have enough sense to know that if we would look at at this text through the lenses of our own personal in, in, integrity, I, I know for a fact that through the course of uh, even my adult ministry, even, even uh, being someone, maybe I haven't displayed any kind of maturity today, probably, <laughs> probably, or not too much, but wherever I am in my walk from time to time, I still struggle with some or even all of these. I guess I'm by myself. The house has to be built. And every service is a building project. If if we're not doing what we do in the time allotted for our service, if we're not doing that for a manifestation of God's presence, we're missing the mark altogether. Because we don't show up just to show up, we show up anticipating that He shows up. We don't show up just because we haven't seen each other all week just because we miss each other, or just because we like the music, or we like the style of the preaching, or this is our, our, our time to check the box and say, I've been a good person because I went to church this week. I show up in hopes that he shows up. Because I know if he shows up, everything changes. I know if he shows up, somebody who's lost is found, somebody who's blind sees, somebody who's dead comes to life. If he shows up, Sickness has to go. If he shows up, money has to come. Power has, if he shows up, I get authority. If he shows up, uh, kingdom, manifestation, and dominion shows up. If glory shows up, oh, God. Whatever's wrong in my house is fixed in his house. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. I'm going to end with this again because my time is is gone every once in a while you go through so much that you don't lose your salvation but you lose the joy It ain't nothing like something that will make you lose your joy like some other believers putting you through hell. Come on, let the church see. And there have been seasons, Bishop, I tell you the truth, that I pulled onto the parking lot of my church and dreaded to have to go in because I knew it was a fight. I knew I was going to have to clean up some kind of mess. I knew I was going to have to deal with some kind of drama. And I, there were times I would walk out and I would look at the clock and I would say, I'm, just going, I'm going to give them 20 minutes. I'm going to get out of here today because I, I, I just don't have it in me. I hadn't lost my salvation, but I had lost the joy in my salvation because I couldn't understand why people who, who said that they were mature, people who said they were with me, people who said they had my back, I couldn't understand why they were trying to make my life a living hell. And I started talking to God. I was like, "This, it's not supposed to be like this. It's not supposed to be this much work and, and fight. Not in here. If we're going to fight, we should be fighting together, not with each other, fighting together against powers and principalities. Not fighting each other. And it would become hard and I was sitting around and say, this ain't God, this ain't your will. Jesus, you said, my yoke is easy. Come on. And my burden is light. And I'm having to fight the people who say they love me and say they love you. The devil is a lie. I'm praying that uh, there would be a, a strong return of the joy of your salvation. Because I can sense that some of you are very weary in your well-doing and that, that uh, circumstances and things have taken a toll on your emotional well-being. And, and if, you could, if you could take uh, some time off from church people, you would sign up for it immediately. I get that. I get that. Trust me, I get that. But I break that spirit in Jesus' name. I break that spirit in the name Jesus. And I speak over your life that God is returning to you the joy of your salvation. In the authority of Jesus' name, I break every spirit that has tried to tear you down, that has tried to separate and divide this house. I break every lie. I break every malicious rumor. I destroy slander and gossip. I come against it in the authority of Jesus' name. We lay aside all malice. We lay aside all deceit. We lay aside all envy and strife and evil speaking. We lay it aside. Side, all hypocrisy all hidden agendas uh we we break that spirit so that we can be unified in one and we speak that there is a day that is upon us even now where this house is yet again in building and we are lively stones prepared in advance already ready to do the work that we have been called to do we declare that we will fit where we belong aligned to the chief cornerstone and that this place will be a habitation for the manifestation of the power and demonstration of the glory of god in the authority of jesus name we say that this is a place of miracles and signs and wonders and that the spirit of god lives here and dwells here and we stand strong united together To say that we really are one in Jesus' name. In Jesus. Somebody just clap your hands for a moment. Give God a praise. Open up your mouth. Give give God.